Rink-wide Vancouver. Free game, post-game, every game. Presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at bodog.net. Juan and J-Pat here with you. Non-game day version of the show. Busy weekend ahead for the Vancouver Canucks and perhaps some news as we record this around uh, 12.30 in the afternoon here. Could be some NCAA signings. We're sort of looking out for that sort of thing. Also could be a roster move, J-Pat. Yeah, it's a travel day for the Canucks after their win over San Jose, making their way down to Big D to start a quick three-game and four-night road trip. They're in Dallas on Saturday afternoon, into Chicago on Sunday, and they finish up in St. Louis. And so no on-ice session, no media availability today. And the question is, who's on that airplane? Who's heading to Dallas? We know that Christian Willanen got hurt last night, left the game after three shifts. We found out post-game that Noah Juleson's season probably done, which is unfortunate for him. Guillaume Brisebois is around. He didn't play last night against the Sharks, but maybe he's an option to draw back in with three games and four nights and a long way from home. just kind of feels like you would want an extra body at the very least on uh, the back end. So a little bit of insurance in case the injury bug uh, bites again. So we'll have to wait and see how that all shakes down. Now, they've used all of their call-ups from Abbotsford, so this would be an emergency recall really a technicality because you're still bringing guys up from the farm but you have to get to a point where basically you're out of bodies and so we'll see how it all goes i would think jack rathbone would be the the next guy up certainly on the left side you know will lannon's a left shot guy the connects only had two lefties in the lineup last night and then will lannon leaves so that left quinn hughes we know that quinn hughes if he's healthy he's going to play a bunch but still it's compressed schedule here on this road trip so i won't be surprised i guess the other thing would be if uh, yeah if they signed one of these ncaa guys that they've been linked to we're all expecting that aiden mcdonough is going to make his debut here at some point possibly as early as sunday in chicago so you know in a pinch i i guess if you brought in a body you know these guys are leaving college behind they're pros they're available so let's see how all of that goes as well but that's not a route i expect them to take but you know, if Breezeball is healthy, then they can cobble together a defense that would have four right-handers and two left-handers. And not ideal, but we saw the way they started against the Sharks. They had Philip Ronick and Ethan Bear on a pairing together. And again, we'll have, probably have to wait until the morning skate down in Dallas to uh, find out exactly what the Canucks' plans are for a 4 o'clock Pacific time. They're in the early slot on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday against the Stars. Our buddy Dolly Wall, a.k.a. Scoops, saying today that the Canucks are in the mix for Western Michigan center Max Sasson. And uh, just looking uh, at his stats now, 22 years old. He'll be 23 in September, uh, 42 points in 38 games. He is a left shot. I guess center. He says forward under his hockey DB. So I guess he can play back and forth between the middle and the wing. Again, though, with these guys, like they're just basically scratching wins at this point, right? Like if they, if they pan out, amazing. But just putting so much stock into these guys, it seems like a lot of, and it's not just Canuck fans. It's, it's kind of all over the NHL, really. People getting excited for these guys. But listen, a lot of them don't pan out. So they are legit scratching wins. Yeah, and it would be nice to see them find some right-shot centers and right-side defensemen. And Jake Livingston seems to be the big prize in NCAA free agency, but Dolly Wall has also been reporting that it sounds like his eyes are elsewhere, that uh, even though he's a BC guy from Creston and played for Langley in the BC Hockey League, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Canucks, and and so they, I mean, big, strapping right-shot defensemen, exactly what they, they can use more of. But it sounds like every team in the league pretty much was in on him. And he hasn't made a decision, at least not as we record. But Dollywall was hinting that it didn't sound like Livingston and his camp were looking at the Vancouver Canucks. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. But you're right. These guys are a little further advanced on the development curve. But that also means 
are running out of runway to really make a splash and make a name for themselves. And and so few guys that come out of college are impact players. But hey, we know that the Canucks pipeline can use help just about everywhere, all positions. So no issue with them taking a swing yeah, here on sure. some NCAA guys. And let's see how it all plays out. And there always is a story at some point. There's always somebody that will yep. eventually break through. And yep. yeah, you have to do your due diligence. And so see if the Canucks can land themselves and also too it's just good for the organization right if you've got these free agents that are coming in here feel comfortable coming in here whether or not their careers pan out it sort of can be for others down the line that you know saw that the canucks can be one of those organizations that'll give you a shot dakota joshua has gotten himself a shot this year and he's starting to make the most of it and i know that you were talking about wanting to dig into his numbers a bit here we talked about it on the post game pod last night the fact that he's up to 10 goals now 19 points on the season but seems to be one of those guys that Rick Tockett really likes. And he praised him saying that he thinks that there's another level, of course, talking about the summer, how big the summer is for Dakota Joshua. But we're starting to see it, though. Like, we're seeing what these other people have been telling us about him perhaps having that other level. You know, he's not just a, a big body that throws his weight around. He's got some soft hands as well. And he's really sort of benefited from the Rick Tockett bump, if you will. Yeah, Tockett, he thinks there's a potential there for 20 goals. Yeah. And, you know. I'm not ruling it out at all, but I'm not sure that I'm ready to declare that Dakota Joshua is going to be a 20-goal scorer. So, But this has been a nice season. He has absolutely been an organizational win for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes. They saw something there. They got him on under contract, and he has played and played well, more so for Tockett than he did for Bruce Boudreaux, although he scored six of his 10 goals under Boudreaux. So it wasn't like there was no production. But yeah, just kind of interesting to look and compare and contrast Joshua's play under the two head coaches. Now, more games under Bruce Boudreaux than he's played for Rick Tockett, but he now has more points under Tockett than he did for his previous head coach. So the offense, it's almost an even split on the season when you look at the numbers. He's got four goals and six assists in 10 games, 10 points in 25 games since Rick Tockett took over. So 10 points, 25 games under Rick Tockett. He had nine points in 43 games under Bruce Boudreaux. Now, remember, he missed three games. He was a healthy scratch once. And then there was the mystery element in December. Remember when Brock Besser was that close to being a healthy scratch, but was saved by the, the late injury that we never really did find out about uh, with Dakota Joshua. But uh, whatever the case, Joshua sat out a couple of games in December. So he didn't play all of the games under Bruce Boudreaux, but he did play 43 of those 46. But just a few more numbers here. He was minus 13 while Boudreaux was the head coach. He's minus one under Tockett. And he's playing two minutes more per game since Tockett took over. He was averaging 10 minutes and 25 seconds under Bruce Boudreaux, now up to 12 minutes and 34 seconds under Tockett. And of course, some of that is on the penalty kill where he has become a mainstay and the penalty kill is gaining some traction and working closer to that 70% mark. But it's up over 70% since Tockett took over. So, you know, guys need opportunities. And it wasn't Dakota Joshua was silent. It's just that even though he was producing at a you know relative rate under Bruce Boudreaux, he and his line were getting buried and getting scored on a ton. They were getting outscored basically by a two-to-one margin. And when you're a fourth line, you know, that's not good because teams are looking to pounce and trying to take advantage of inequities out there. And when you're out on the road, you can't shelter those kinds of guys. You know, it's just nice to see that the goal scoring, the differential there, that gap has been reduced considerably. The Canucks were outscored by 12 at five on five. With Joshua on the ice under Bruce Boudreaux, they've been outscored by one under Rick Tockett. And the possession metrics across the board are better, but they're still not great. And so there is room for improvement, but it just kind of feels like Dakota Joshua and his line mates 
are making progress on most nights. And last night was a good night, a goal and an assist for him, a goal for Connor Garland, and uh, everybody getting in on the act in that 7-2 win over the San Jose Sharks. But, you know, to the eye, it looks like Dakota Joshua has been more productive under Rick Tockett. And then, you know, I think that some of those numbers that I threw out there, I know it's a lot of numbers uh, for listeners, but the numbers would support that, that yes, there has been growth, there's been development, and you want to believe that that's going to keep happening for a player that clearly the coach has some trust and some faith in and is going to be, you know, continue to get some opportunities as long as Rick Tockett's at the helm. And going back to what we were talking about with the NCAA prospects just being like somewhat of a scratch and win, so are guys like Nils Amon, uh, Dakota Joshua, maybe not so much in Jackson Nika in terms of what he's given the Canucks, but he's given them NHL minutes, right? And when we think about Nils Amon, for instance, like when he came in here, I don't know if anybody batted an eye that he would be, you know, a regular in the Canucks lineup, and he's proven to be that. And now Dakota Joshua is another one of those stories, but Dakota Joshua is, is starting, and, and, and Nils Amon for that are starting to look like guys that, you know, are going to be a piece of this future with the Canucks. Yeah, and to Nils Amon's credit, now, he's a center, but at the start of the season, I think we all thought that Curtis Lazar had been signed to be yep. the fourth-line center and really never played the middle or very little because Nils Amon made a name for himself at Young Stars into main camp, into the preseason, made the hockey club. I know he was sent down to Abbotsford, but Nils Amon has not been a healthy scratch at the NHL level. Like He has played every single game available to him. So even when his game was sagging, now maybe some of that was that they just didn't have the depth at center to sit him down. But once Dudnika arrived on the scene, you had Lazar here when he was healthy. Like I think there were some opportunities. And like I'm not making a push for Nils Amon to be a healthy scratch, and I don't think he will be over the final 11 games. But it does say something that the coaches... You know, have elected to keep him in the lineup, play him. We've seen his role grow uh, along with Dakota Joshua. And, and you know, that was good use of Abbotsford, having your farm team nearby. Yep. It reached a point where Nils Amon just looked like he had sort of hit that rookie wall, send him down to the farm, get him some touches of the puck, play in some situations that maybe he wasn't playing in at the big league level, come back with some confidence. And he has looked like a different player in the games since the all-star break than he was the, the month of December was just, we talked about it then like, he, you know, just way too quiet. Like he was in uniform, but nothing, nothing was happening for him. He just looks like a more confident guy with a puck on his stick, making plays, the penalty killing role that he has, you know, been charged with and, and really seems to have bought into. And there's no question like Nils Amon and Dakota Joshua, absolutely two of the penalty killers that Rick Tockett's going to use for the rest of this season. But also I would think to hit the ground running, start of next year and beyond. Yeah, Nils Amon, one more year left on that contract as well as Dakota Joshua too. So yeah, good finds for them. And then that brings us to Christian Willannon, right? Another guy that the uh, Canucks signed there in July and got himself a two-year deal. We wondered whether, you know, the Canucks were going to put pen to paper uh, with the player because of the fact that, uh, you know, they want to lock up these depth guys. But we wondered maybe if the NHL was sort of sniffing around looking at what he's been doing. But, hey, he's in the Canucks organization now for another two years, and he's going to be well compensated at the AHL level. But, I mean, this is a good story for a guy, you know, that's 28 just turned 28 years old and has sort of floundered around the NHL. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day, baby. So he just turned, in fact, last Friday, right. he turned yeah. uh, 28. And he's had a, a nice season. And you're right. Like, we saw Breezeball get an extension. We got Phil DiGiuseppe getting an extension. And so they're all lining up at uh, Patrick Alvin's office door, I guess. It was uh, Willannon's turn yesterday, and we didn't get into it on the postgame pod because the story last night was that he left the hockey game and we're still uncertain about uh, the yeah. extent of his injury. But, yeah... It, you look at what he's been able to do, 
plays 16 games, and hopefully there's more for him, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. 16 games in the NHL for the Canucks. You know, hasn't blown anybody away, but at the same time, certainly doesn't look out of place at all and has been given the odd opportunity to run the second power play unit. I love his mobility. Like, you know, he just, he looks a little more polished than some guys that step up into the NHL. And this is a guy now that has 80 plus games under his belt, you know, so he's been at this for a while. And again, with his age, you know, there's been that maturity that's been on display. It's just, it's a simple game. He's played sheltered minutes for the Canucks, make no mistake about that, but that's been fine. Like in that role, the Canucks have outscored their opponents eight to five at even strength. Uh, they've outshot and outchanced their opponents as well. He's picked up three assists along the way. And that's why I say, like the numbers aren't going to blow anybody away, but just when you think of what the Canucks had on the left side for much of this season, we know that it has been a lost cause essentially for all of Reckman Larson and Christian Willannon has stepped in at you know, a fraction of the rate and basically been able to give them a lot of the same minutes that they were getting under OEL. And, and it wasn't going well for all of Reckman Larson, but it's gone, you know, I would say relatively smoothly for, for Christian Willannon. A couple of things about him. He's got 55 points in 49 games down in Abbotsford. He hasn't played an American Hockey League yeah. game <laughs> since February 15th. It is March 24th. So five weeks he's been in the NHL. He still leads all American Hockey League defensemen and still leads Abbotsford in scoring by 10 points. So, like, that just gives you a sense of the kind of season that he had at the minor league level. He's a low-maintenance guy. He's a true pro through and through. And, you know, so good for the Canucks for recognizing that, rewarding that. Two-way deal. I, I was a little surprised that maybe he didn't shop himself, but I think it speaks about, you know, the comfort level of the program the Canucks are putting in place out in Abbotsford. And this is a guy that's seen how other operations work around the National Hockey League and, you know, how their farm systems work as well. And and so for him to sign on the dotted line here with a couple of weeks left in the regular season, you know, didn't want to get himself to the open market. He wanted the security of that second year. He's getting some solid AHL money. I mean, half a mil at the American Hockey League level. Yep. You know, and there's no salary cap down there. It's just a ownership has to have the financial wherewithal and the willingness to pay those salaries at the American Hockey League level. But it's a two-way contract. And, you know, so both him and Breezebois, they get some security with the second year on their deals. Uh, they're solid veterans for Abbotsford. And, and I think that, you know, given what they've shown, both of them, that they'll have an opportunity to push for a roster spot with the big league team out of training camp. Now, that's not guaranteeing anything. I'm saying roster spot. I'm not saying one of the top six spots on defense because we don't know what the Canucks are going to do in the offseason. But the other thing of two-year deals for both Lennon and Brisebois, it gives the organization more time to develop a few of its own prospects. Like, I would have worried about bringing these two guys back for two more years if I thought that they were going to clog up the pipeline. Yeah. But... We all know that there isn't a whole lot in that pipeline yeah. right here, right now. So, you know, devil you know, as opposed to the one you don't, Canucks are comfortable with these guys. These guys seem pretty comfortable in the Canucks system. So I would say win-win all around. Yeah, Darren Radish of Syracuse is second in scoring at 51 and 50 games, and Will Annan has 55 and 49. Our old buddy Brogan Rafferty, I know his name has yeah. come up recently here on the pod. Yeah, 45 points in 60 games. So, reason why I'm bringing up these guys is, you know, Will Landon's probably going to win the Eddie Shore Award, which is AHL best defenseman, old-time hockey, Eddie Shore. And that's kind of interesting. They, he, we'll see what's up with the injury right now. You would probably assume that he's going to stay up here, right? I mean, I know there's going to be a roster move perhaps, but when he gets healthy, 
he'll probably just stay with the club unless they shut him down for the season, depending on the injury. But that would be something, right? If he could win, you know, top defenseman in the American Hockey League and only have to play, what, 40, 49 games. Well, and I wonder if his time in the NHL works against him in that regard in as much as he was incredible in his time in the American Hockey League. But the fact that he didn't play a full season, like just winning the scoring title among defensemen, I don't know if that's going to be enough. I don't know who votes and and how all that is done. But, you know, voters may look at a guy like Darren Radish or somebody else that spent the whole season down there. So whatever the case, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Well, Lannon has been terrific for the Abbotsford Canucks and, again, has been pretty good. I hope it's not a serious injury. I hope that, you know, there are still yeah. some games left for him to to continue to put his best foot forward here and try to make a case. But the fact that the Canucks wanted to get a deal done with him indicates that, you know, that they value everything he's brought both levels of this operation this season. So I think that tells you they're pretty happy to have him back and, and to be able to get him on a two-way deal again. This is a team that still has a lot of work to do to iron out its salary cap situation. And so to have some of those guys that kind of nibble at the fringes of minimum wage, if you will, at the National Hockey League level, but can step in and, and get the job done. You know, Noah Juleson's going to be the next guy. And and it was unfortunate to hear from Rick Talker that he thought whatever happened to him in that warm-up incident the other night, uh, I think it seems like people have pointed to an ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Talkett seemed to suggest that with 11 games to go, maybe... We won't see Juleson again, but he also needs a contract. You know, he's a, a local guy. I think uh, he's been pretty happy with the way that he's been utilized and given the opportunity in the National Hockey League as well. So I would think that there's another guy that they're going to want to get under contract. And again, this is the one time that I'll say, hey, not having a bunch of, you know, 20, 21 year old legitimate NHL prospects on defense, it kind of works for the organization that you can turn to these veterans and, and, you know, you need a mix, you need a mix and a blend. Yes. Uh, But if you had all these guys that were knocking on the door and, you know, you kind of felt like you were stymieing their growth because you wanted to lean on veteran guys. I don't think that's a healthy situation, but you know, the hope is over the course of the next couple of years, the Elias, the other Elias Patterson decides to come over and play in the American hockey league that, uh, you know, Yanni Yermo will find out uh, what his plans are. There's some suggestion that he's going to look at uh, coming over, playing here next year. Philip Johansson, now he's a righty. But, you know, there is going to be this influx. And again, I think the organization is going to continue, whether it's NCAA, whether it's, you know, European free agents, whatever. They're looking at different ways because we know that they haven't drafted and developed uh, many of their own in recent years. So still an area of uh, you know, concern, I think, to a degree. And, and it'll be one of interest to the fan base to watch what's going on down in Abbotsford. But I like those two signings rewarding Griezmann and Will Annan for the work that they've put in this year. You know, I, I think two-year contracts that probably matches up to the kind of timeline that'll allow the Canucks to get a few more of their own into that Abbotsford system. Yeah. For guys that have played 30 or more games in the AHL this year, Will Annan is sixth in points per game at 1.12. <laughs> so an incredible season for Christian Will Annan down in the AHL. And uh, yeah, I think the results have been, have been decent at the NHL level and you sort of compare them to OEL, which is kind of what we've, we've done here since he's been up. I mean, OEL through 54 games was a dash 24 and, you know, put what you want stock into plus minus, you know, you look at Willan and he's five plus five in 16 games. He got three assists, you know, OEL with 22 points. OEL's point production isn't that bad for 54 games played when you consider the player. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the contracts and the differences in the player, you go, boy, 
I think most fans would rather have Christian Rolanen right now on the blue line. Um, interesting. This came out today. Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic, I believe he's based out in Toronto, or of sort of a media sort of journalist, talking about how ESPN has plans for a 2011 doc on the riot. And it's going to be called, I'm just here for the riot. And it's the same people that put together those Grizzlies documentaries Hmm. as well. But interesting that now is the time that we're going down this road. Yeah. I mean, personally, in my mind, I've sort of turned the page and think we all got to move forward. But at the same time, like I know that Kat Jamie, the producer of those Grizzlies docs, the Finding Big Country and uh, you know, like she's put in the hours and the work and, and it's played to rave reviews. And so, you know, I'm kind of curious to see, there's a lot of talk about unearthed cell phone video. And I feel like, you know, I was there that night, I lived through it. I feel like I, you know, it took some time to kind of deal and process with the whole thing in the aftermath. And here we are more than a decade later yeah, as a city, I guess I'd like us to move forward, but it's not just about Vancouver. I mean, this will play all sorts oh, yeah. of markets around the world. And, yeah. and you know, there is a story to, I mean, lots of teams lose championships and not every city riots. Like there is something, unfortunately, in our DNA here in Vancouver that's led us to two of them now in 94 and again in, in 2011. So, yeah, I mean, look, 30 for 30s, uh, they don't mess around, like top quality stuff. ESPN not looking to, you know, half-ass it in that regard. So I'm sure that it'll be a great finished product. And, you know, I'm just finishing up the West Coast Express, the the yeah. Skyrim Tools podcast, and final episode of the nine is out this weekend. And if you haven't listened, you know, and I think some people probably were waiting for all the episodes to drop and, and then binge them. Or, you know, once the Canucks season is done, I would highly recommend, of course, stick with us here at Rinkwide. But if you're looking for some off-season content, if you haven't, it was just a fun trip down memory lane. Like, I covered the team all through those years and, you know, it brought back a lot of memories for me. There were things that, I remember seeing, but I had forgotten about and it's got, you know, certain games and individual accomplishments. And I mean, I was there the night that Bertuzzi clocked Steve Moore. So that one is etched in my memory bank. And But uh, Scotty did a nice job, talked to a lot of people, some, you know, great voices to hear that they, we hadn't heard from. And then to hear guys like Bertuzzi and Marcus Nasland and Brendan Morrison and Brad May that uh, were there in the middle of it all on that night back in 2004. So uh, as an aside, if you haven't checked out West Coast Express, yes. you know, that was terrific. And and my guess is, even though the subject matter is dark, you know, a documentary on Vancouver burning will be well done. And it'll be interesting to see the final product there. Yeah. So it's directors, Asia Youngman and Kathleen Jamie, who you mentioned there. I'm just here for the riot chronicles, the aftermath of the event captured on hundreds of cell phone cameras. So, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting perspective in terms of like you're going to be at ground level through the eye of these phones. Right. So I know you were down there at the time, as you mentioned, trying to get out of the rink. I was Granville Island at the time. And I remember just seeing the smoke sort of billowing from downtown and being like, yeah, no, not going in there. Do not want to have any part of that. But I am fascinated by this uh, documentary. I think it's going to be something that's pretty cool. And you're right. Like we got to think of it. This isn't just for Vancouver, right? Like I would love to see, you know, the Montreal riots after they won a Stanley Cup, right? I mean, although no cell phones back then to uh, document that. Bodog question of the day. And honestly, it was inspired by you, my friend. You're very inspiring. I, I find that. <laughs> you tweeted last night, if the Canucks don't get John Garrett, the world's biggest ketchup bottle as a retirement gift, then somebody has messed up. You're right about that. But it got thinking. So on our Rinkwide Vancouver uh, Twitter account, we have 
how should the Canucks honor Cheech? Now, I thought about it and I thought, well, this would probably be best in a poll, you know, with Ring of Honor perhaps being one of the, and I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I think most people would probably just default to that. So I wanted to see how creative, you know, some people would get. And now I mentioned the the Ring of Honor because I do believe that. I, I think Garrett is the kind of guy that, you know, should be honored by the team in that regard. But a lot of other people in the vein of like themers, hot dogs there are yeah. suggesting yeah. something in terms of food. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, maybe a place, a customized fork and knife set since he won't have to finger food anymore. That comes from Rob, the siding guide of uh, chef swagger says the team wears the flying V jerseys and a warm up with Garrett 31 on the back. The first 5,000 fans get a bottle of Heinz ketchup. <laughs> and then the last part is kind of funny. An Aquaman gets a ketchup bottle teardrop tattoo on his face. Don't think that part's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, there are other people, you know, suggesting that, you know, at a bar in the arena with Gar- Gar- Garrett's, you know, favorite foods around it or, you know, some sort of a food display. Do you, I mean, those are obviously you know, funny and, and perhaps could happen. Who knows? But be serious about it though. Do you, do you think Ring of Honor is something that you would, you would put uh, Cheech into? I, I do think he should get some consideration. And again, the, the lines of, you know, who gets in and who doesn't are a little bit murky. But really, it is about guys that have left an imprint on this organization. And when you think of John Garrett in his service to the Vancouver Canucks as a player and then as a longtime broadcaster, he checks off a lot of boxes to me. So I do hope that he gets strong consideration for that. Now, some of those other suggestions, like I know some of them were sort of done in jest, but honestly, like food is such a huge part of what he brought to those broadcasts. And I said it on the post game, like having traveled out there and and witnessed it firsthand, like it's not a joke. It's not, you know, something that a caricature that he's created, like he loves his ketchup and he does. And I've watched him eat a bunch of different foods and ketchup is always a staple of his diet. But steamers has, you know, they've got it in the concourse there. They've got steamers, hot dogs. Like, could they not come up with? Okay, here's a suggestion. This is from Thrill House on Twitter. I love this. He says hot dog slash pizza joint in the concourse called yeah. Cheech's Crease. Do- now, this this part's amazing. Dozens of ketchup varieties on hand from around the world. I love it. I love it, too. And I think Cheech could. Like, you could get him, you know, you know, some nights. Like, he could be behind the counter there serving stuff up. But just, like, dealing with the, the fans. You know, because. Are you John Garrett? <laughs> well, but that was part of the release last night was that, yes, he's stepping away as the full time broadcaster, but he's not done entirely. Like, he's still going to be involved somehow with some Sportsnet nights along the way, which is yeah. great. So, you know, we're not, it's farewell to this chapter, but, you know, still think he's going to be around. But I'm curious to see if there's any kind of pregame on ice. They've got five home games to go. And, like, give him his due. Like, have him drop the puck before. Whether it's the finale, like, because they finished the season with three out on the road. They go down to Southern California and his last game will be in Arizona. So there's a five game homestand to finish up here. I, I hope, like, I hope they don't leave it to next year to bring him back. Like, this news is fresh. People want to respond to reality yes. you saw on social media. Like, yes. You know, I get logistically to get from center ice up to the broadcast booth. You know, it can't be done. done. Well, no, but. Shorty can handle it for two yeah. minutes while he jumps in an elevator and, and gets up there or, you know, throw it a commercial break, whatever. I would love to see John Garrett get the opportunity by himself, solo, get him out there at center ice to drop the ceremonial puck and let people respond and react and salute the guy for two incredible decades on our televisions with 
Sportsnet, but he was on Hockey Night Canada before that. And then, of course, his playing days. So I hope the Canucks are pretty good about uh, celebrations and pregame ceremonies, that kind of stuff. I do hope, though, that they don't push it to next year and bring him back to, you know, I just think they should capitalize on the moment here. That would be my suggestion at the very least is you've got five home games. You've got weekend road trip here where they're away from home. So you've got a little bit of time to put something together. I hope that they could find a way to do an on-ice ceremony, ceremony for John Garrett. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. Required Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to go to make a play on free casino games and sports odds. We have a bunch of Ask J-Pats. We always ask these after uh, our post-game pod. We try to get to a few of them, but uh, we always keep a few behind. And I picked out a, a few here. I've got some numbers to bounce off you, but I know you're the numbers guy as well, so you'll be good with this. But let's start with Fergie, who says, why are they not giving three to five games to Baines or McDonough or Rathbone and others? Goes on to say, Pods and Kravtsov are playing only 10 minutes. They have to be given opportunity to score in the NHL to get their confidence. Maybe they should play with PD, Miller, or Garland, whoever fits. Well, I'd be all for a guy like Pod Colson getting a bump up the lineup a little bit. You know, you, you saw the goal last night. Like, I hope that that does spark a little bit of confidence for him. I mean, coast to coast, essentially, or at least from his own end and the move that he made at center ice to shake the check and, and create some space for himself. And then the big time shot. I like that, but I, yeah, there's 11 games to go. I'd love to see Pod Colson. And look, Phil DiGiuseppe is on a nice little run. He scored a couple of games in a row, and, and he gives you what he can. But if this is about experimenting and finding out what you've got with some guys, there's only 11 games remaining. So time is kind of ticking to the end of the season. As for those other guys, again, I feel like we've talked about this an awful lot, but maybe different people dip in, hear different parts of the podcast, or, you know, shame on you if you're not listening to every moment yeah. of every podcast. But, Hanging on every word. But the Canucks have used all their call-ups. They cannot bring Archdeep Baines up yeah. from Abbotsford yeah. unless there's an injury situation. And we talked about that earlier about the defenseman, but up front, you've got Jack Stadnik as a healthy body every night. He's a healthy scratch. And now you've got Aiden McDonough here as well, plus the possibility of some of these other NCAA signings. So they're not going to run out of forwards with 11 games to go. And so... That's why Hoaglander isn't getting a call-up. That's why Archie Baines and Linus Carlson and those guys, like their focus has to be on a long playoff run. In Abbotsford, they can clinch a playoff spot, I think, with a single point tonight. And so they're going to the postseason. The big league team isn't. And for some of those guys, it's just keep on keeping on. Know that the team is keeping an eye on you, that they recognize the good things that are being done down on the farm, but they're not getting a call. And so I just want to continue to sort of push that so people yeah. fully understand that, you know, this isn't punishment for Hoaglander. They haven't turned a blind eye to what he's doing down there. The rules are 
the rules they apply and the Canucks have used their call-ups because in order to have guys like Pod Colson available for the American Hockey League playoffs, they had to send them down to Abbotsford trade deadline and then recall them right away. And they were essentially paper transactions. Pod Colson didn't go anywhere, but he is now available for the American Hockey League playoffs, but he also was one of their call-ups and you only get four after the trade deadline. So that's where we are with that. Now, Aid McDonough is here. He's going to make his debut. We expect that it's going to happen on Sunday. That'll mean there are nine games remaining. I'll be really curious. How many of those nine does he play? Some of that will be based on how he looks. But Rick Tockett's made it pretty clear. Like He doesn't seem to have this massive interest in playing Aiden McDonough a ton. That Tockett has guys that have responded to the things that he's asked them to do. And you know he doesn't want to have to take any of them out of the lineup just to make room for an NCAA guy that you know, is probably, if he's going to help the Vancouver Canucks, probably in... Abbotsford next year. So, you know, for Rick Tockett, you understand what you have to do from an organizational standpoint with some of these young guys, but Rick Tockett's more concerned about the NHL level and evaluating what he's got. So McDonald will get in, but I am curious to see, you know, is it one game? Is it three or five? Like how many of those does he play? And and if he goes in, who comes out? So something to watch here over the, the weekend. And then the same thing will apply if they do land any of these other NCAA forwards that you know, they promise a game two to burn off the first year of that entry-level contract. Did they mishandle Nils Hoaglander this year? Like in terms of not getting him back up once they sent him down? Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say that they mishandled him. You know, he's gone down and, and it sounds like there's been no pouting. You know, he has tried to be the best player that he can be at the American Hockey League level. And it does sound like on a lot, a lot of nights that, uh, you know, he's a cut above, that uh, he's probably too good for that league. But there's also waiver implications. I think it was two more NHL games and he would require waivers to send down. So the timing, you know, it was all calculated in that regard that they got him down while he was still waiver exam. And then if you bring him up and you try to send him down again at that point, you know, he's an NHL player. Like he would have been, there's no question in my mind that he would have been claimed, even though he doesn't oh, have yeah. gaudy NHL yeah. numbers. Yeah. So no, I'm not going to say they mishandled him. I mean, look, we heard it from Travis Green and we heard it from Bruce Boudreaux that as much as they recognized the offensive skill, there were still a number of deficiencies in his defensive game. And so, you know, go work on that in the minors. And Jeremy Colleton sounds like he's doing a really nice job with a lot of the players down there individually, but also, you know, as a group, uh, systems and those types of things. And so when Hoaglander, you know, next year, I would imagine the training camp, you know, hit the ground running and prove that you took what you had to out of your time in the American Hockey League, hopefully leave it behind. But no, I don't think they've mismanaged him. He's 22 years of age. It's just he started at the NHL level, and sometimes when guys do that and then they step back, like I think it really feels like this massive demotion and departure. But yeah. ultimately, he is just 22. And if he, you know, half a season in the American Hockey League, not a huge deal if it makes him a better player over the long haul. 29 points in 38 games down at the American Hockey League level, 14 goals. Very balanced uh, uh, scoring for uh, Nils Hoaglander. Uh, Out of those forwards, though, and I don't believe in the question that uh, Linus Carlson's name was brought up. No, he wasn't. And I know as you broke down there that they really can't bring anybody up, but Linus Carlson's looking like he might be a pretty good story down there. 45 points in 63 games, and 20 of those are goals. So interesting to see where he goes. Another one of those guys that. They, they brought in and, you know, just basically another scratch and win, right? But at the American Hockey League level, he's doing okay. But let's keep in mind, too, he's got a few more years on uh, Nils Hoaglander as well. Uh, Mills on Twitter wants to know, why does Besser keep getting PP1 time? Which is kind of interesting because you could sort of maybe draw that into Pod Colson. Maybe it's time to try 
podsy on the on the PP one. Yeah, I mean, people look at Brock Besser and they you know they focus on the goal still. I think like last weekend in Los Angeles was a perfect example of what Brock Besser does that isn't going to show up on the score sheet, but also the guys that do hit the score sheet that doesn't happen unless Brock Besser takes the eyes of the goalie like his screen on the Pedersen power play goal like absolutely standing his ground in front of Jonas Corposalo and Corposalo looks to his right and Pedersen beats him on the left and it like Brock Besser doing a great job standing his ground as a net front presence you know the power play ultimately it's about producing goals but a lot of times it's about puck retrieval if a puck goes into the corner and it's 50 50 the Canucks really they, they like Brock Besser's board work and he could be a playmaker like in fact, we've spent a fair bit of time over the course of the season remarking that, you know, in some ways he's morphed into more of a playmaker now than the pure goal scorer. And so, like, I don't have an issue on the power play. Like, some of the guys have to do some of the dirty work out there. And, and I do think that that stuff is unheralded. Obviously, the goals are flashy. If it's not Besser, it's probably going to be Kuzmenko, although we've also seen the Beauvillier has been moved off the first unit at times so that Besser and Kuzmenko can be out there together. To your point, you know, are we likely to see them go deep into the depth chart to give others first unit power play opportunities? I'm going to say no. The power play last night against San Jose was a disaster, and the players said as much. I know the games don't matter now, but I I don't think they can stomach, and I'm not sure I can either. In the final 11 games, if they're just going to spin their wheels on the power play, I want to see that power play find its groove again to take into the offseason. And so that they have some things that they can draw on when they reassemble the training camp and into the preseason next year. Nights like last night, like they were so disjointed. And, you know, I think they recognize that they didn't need the power play last night. They scored lots of goals. They beat San Jose going away. But there's going to be some tight games where you get a power play in the third period and they're still trying to win hockey games. The players are still trying to win that power play for what it was just off last night. And really, it hasn't looked particularly good, I would say, for the last eight or 10 games. So, you know, something to work on as long as they've got all those healthy bodies. Now you got Philip Ronick, and you saw last night he got a couple of turns in the third period. They tried to experiment a little with two defensemen set there. So I wouldn't anticipate that you're going to see Pod Colson getting any kind of power play one bump. But I guess I've got I've got time for him getting second unit power play duty, but we'll have to see if something like that happens. 13 of his 46 points this year for Brock Besser on the power play. Four of those are goals. So, you know, the numbers are relatively close to where he's been throughout his career in terms of, uh, you know, the counting stats. But of course, the goals are down as we talked about, but the assists are up. So, you know, like you said, maybe this is this is just what uh, Brock Besser is sort of morphing into. Uh, this one is the numbers that I talked about. This is from Ibrahim on Twitter as well. And when asked, when was the last time the Canucks scored seven goals and had seven different goal scores? And of course, you're the guy to ask these sort of questions to. Yeah, I took this one on as a challenge because there's no really easy way to go about, you know, without going box score by box score. So without giving away the secret sauce, I mean, I think I've come mm-hmm. up with the answer here. It's the first time in more than a decade that the Canucks scored seven goals. I didn't go looking at goal games where they scored eight or nine and they haven't done a lot of that but this the question was seven goals seven different goal scores so that's what i'm looking at the last time it happened a 7-4 victory over the nashville predators march 14th of 2013 so just basically a week over uh, 10 years ago and try this on for size here are your connect goal scores that night mm-hmm. andrew ebbett 
Oh, yes. Alex Edler. Mason Raymond, set up by Andrew Ebbett. Max Lapierre. Yannick Hansen, set up by Andrew Ebbett. Ebbett had a three-point night. Henrik Sedin on a penalty shot. And David Booth into an empty net. Seven different goal scorers in a 7-4 drump over the Nashville Predators. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score right now. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, Andrew Ebbett. There's a name that uh, you don't remember anymore <laughs> at all. But No, the Canucks roster that night included Andrew Alberts, Jason Garrison on defense, Zach Cassian, Steve Pinizzato. Oh, the wow. Lineup. There's a name. Yeah. Dale Weiss. Dale Weiss. Yeah. Weiss had a couple of assists that night. Dale Weiss actually managed to stay in the NHL for, for a little while after his days in Vancouver, but uh, Pinizzato. There's a name for mm. you right there. So there you go. If you need to ask any of these numbers questions, you know who the guy to go to. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Okay, it's that time of the week. It's Friday. We love to do our players of the week and then give an update on the fantasy draft. I love that part of the show right now, let me tell you. But let's start with our players of the week. And it's presented by Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. The Canucks playing four games through the week. Who is your POTW? Yeah, I mean, it was another good week. When you think of the uh, California adventure last week, you know, the didn't light it up necessarily, but certainly got the job done. Uh, Thatcher Demko was terrific in uh, Los Angeles, and then they went into Anaheim the next night and got the job done there. I feel like this is an easy choice, but, you know, we've been waiting to see him score power play goals, and he did that in both uh, Anaheim and Los Angeles. So Elias Pettersson, the point streak's up to 10. That's Ooh. a career high for him. The assist last night, and look, a quiet night on a seven-goal outburst for the Canucks, but uh, still picked up a point. 90. He's sitting on 90 with 11 games to go. So it wasn't his loudest week, but it was another good week for Elias Pettersson and that wrist shot on the power play. Been waiting to see that all season long. So because of that, I'm going with EP40 as my rink-wide player of the week. Remind me again when you did that poll, what was the over-under in, on the uh, that we thought? It was like 91 and a half, I think it was. 91 and a half, yeah. Going to blow that out of the water. And the funny thing, too, is that we definitely debated that. I might have picked on the under on that one. So... Yeah, he's going to blow that out of the water. And again, just going from strength to strength with this guy, just evolving in front of us as a a true superstar in this league. I got JT Miller, and he's been red hot right now. Over the four games, he had nine points. Four of those were goals. He led the team in scoring uh, this week. Three-game goal streak. He's got four goals now. He's also on a four-game point streak where he's got nine points over that stretch. Nine goals in March, J-Pat. Yeah. He's up to 29. He had two in February, nine goals up to 29. Now this is remarkable when it comes to JT Miller. He is second all time in points per game as a Canuck. Only Pavel Bure has got more. Now Pavel Bure has got a, a larger sample size. I believe it's somewhere around 200 more games, but at 1.1 points per game, you got to go to like the third decimal point for a uh, Bure to be higher. But JT Miller, second to only Pavel Bure. And, you know, some people asking about that contract, whether, you know, it's going to have an odor at the end of it. I mean, right now, he's full value. He's one of the best value contracts in the NHL for what he's making today. But even next year at eight schmill, whatever it is, 
that's still, if you're a point per game, 1.1 points per game, like you're earning your money. Might be a few years that you don't like on that contract, but right here, right now, JT Miller is, and I'll say it, one of the greatest Canucks all time by his numbers. Yeah, and he had a 99-point season last year, and I think a lot of people say, oh, there's no way he's going to have a 99-point season again. There's a pretty good chance he's going to have an 80-point season, though. Oh, pretty good chance. In the way that he's playing right now, I mean, the pace that he's on, again, we touched on the power play. Like They could all use a little bit of power play magic dust just to boost the numbers for him and and Pedersen and Hughes, but 29 goals, so he's going to get to 30 and, and probably somewhere between 30 and 35. But he's got 71 points in the 70 games that he's played. So 80 is not out of the question. You know, like, yeah, it's not 99, but man. like, And that's the other thing, too. And people have said this. Like, you could have 100 points in Pedersen. You could have close to 80 points in Quinn Hughes and 80 points in JT Miller and not be a playoff. Kuzmenko, you know, and still no playoff performance. So we kind of shake your head that the individual performances have been off the chart. But ultimately, team game. And it's how did the team do? Not well enough is going to be the answer when the season is done. What do you think is going to take JT Miller for the fans to sort of love him like they love, you know, some of the greats that have played for this city? Because he's right there with them. If, I know. You know whether, yeah, it's no, it, whether it's Beret, It's a fair question. It, you know? it, I, I'm not sure that he's, for whatever reason, like I'm not sure. And some of it was, you know, the attitude early on and the, the outbursts and whatever. But Ryan Kessler did some of that too. And... Ryan Kessler. Now everybody of, loves him again. And Ryan yeah. Kessler was a hell of a Canuck. Yeah. Don't really have an explanation. Like, based on points alone, you're right. And I think that would surprise some people that, you know, second to Murray in points per game. But since he's arrived on the scene here, the guy has been an absolute production machine for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it's interesting to see where exactly where this is going to go for JT Miller. But uh, it, it's it's such a hockey thing, too, to really take that that dollar figure that you make and then, you know, predetermine how you feel about the player. You know, it's like, what's his age? How much does he make? Oh, he's a point per game guy. Well, he's too old. I don't like that. Come on, man. He's producing. But but that's life in a salary cap era. You are, uh, you're going to be associated with your, with your salary. It's just. But don't uh, you think that sometimes we look past guys that at a certain age and don't, you know, because there are guys around this league that are producing well into their thirties. Sure. And I made the point on Securus and Price and, and I need to qualify. Like I am not comparing JT Miller to Sidney Crosby. I'm not, but like Sidney Crosby is having a 90 point season at the age of 35. Like now Sid is one of the all time greats, but my point is like he's still going strong and yeah. not showing any signs of slowing down. Claude Giroux, when Ottawa was through here last week, yeah. there's another guy. So I think players are, you know, they're in better shape than ever before. JT Miller has been remarkably durable in his career. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how it's going to play out, but. JT Miller seems to be a guy that, you know, shows up every year in shape, doesn't take shortcuts. And, and you know, if he can stay like on the sort of ahead of the curve on his training and, and all of that kind of stuff, then sure. Like I think the idea of him not being an 80 point guy at the back end of the contract, but, you know, could he be a 50 point producer? Like, yeah, I think it's possible. So, you know, there's a lot, the contract hasn't even kicked in yet. And we're talking about what the back end is going to look like. But my, my whole thing with JT Miller is these next three years with Thatcher Demko under contract at yeah. 5 million bucks, that really feels like yeah. the window to me. Yeah. And there is absolutely every reason to believe that JT Miller can remain, you know, an offensive producer for the Vancouver Canucks, certainly in the first three years of that uh, lengthy contract. All right. Who are you putting in a penalty box? 
It's a minor penalty. I want to be clear about that because, again, the Canucks uh, had a pretty good week. They won three of the four games since we last did this, but he's uh, on a top line and, and power play time as well. And Anthony Bavillier had one point in the week, and it was second assist last night on the Andre Kuzmenko goal. So, you know, a quiet week for him. Again, I'm not going deep here, but on a night last night where seven different guys scored, you know, other players are stepping in and, and making a little bit of offensive noise, and, and Beauvillier seemed to go the other way this week. So he's not playing poorly, but you just want to see a little bit more there. And so I don't want to go a whole lot deeper. Maybe he doesn't even deserve it, but it was a relatively underwhelming week for Anthony Beauvillier, and for that yeah. reason, it's two minutes and two minutes only. It's almost like serving a team penalty. It's like the Canucks got a too many men on the end, and he's being, you know, you go serve the, the too many men on the ice penalty. I'm very curious to what the direction is going to be with Anthony Beauvillier with this team, because when you look at what they're trying to build in terms of the age of their core players, like he fits right in there. He's 25 right now. He's got one more year left at that 4.15 million, and I know we've batted this around on a pass pod, but you know, they're not going to rush into anything. I think we both agree with that. There's not going to be a contract extension. At least you don't think there'll be this summer. They got other fish to fry, bigger fish to fry. That is this summer. But, you know, maybe you do let him sort of play into his UFA year and see exactly, you know, what you got here. Or maybe you do make that decision and go, no, we feel like this guy is going to be a part of us. And, and, you know, at some point down the road here, we want to put pen to paper with him and try to get him for a few more years. But yeah, it's, it's curious to see what, exactly that the organization feels with Anthony Bolville. Like, was he the piece or was Atu Ratu and the, and I guess essentially that first round pick that they moved into Hironic? Like, is, are they the more, you know, bigger pieces of that deal? But in the end, though, when you sort of look at the totality of, of, of the trade, pretty nice uh, piece of work there by Patrick Alvin, especially when you look at Bo Horvat, who has gone ice cold in New York. Now, mind you, they're in a playoff spot, so. Maybe they'll take that. I got Brock Besser again, minor penalty. It's hard to, you know, shit on a guy that when a team does well during the week, but uh, just the one goal and he's only got one in his last 10. He led the team in shots on goal though. So you kind of like to see that. And there were some high dangers there as well. He's got to bury those. We've seen Brock Besser bury those in the past, but he had 13 shots on goal. It's a six NHL season right now for Brock Besser, right? So we really got to figure out exactly what he is. And I think that's probably being said in a management sort of meeting right now as well. Big summer here. I know to steal a line from, <laughs> from, from Rick Dockett, but big summer here for the Canucks management to sort of figure out exactly what they got from number six. The more I hear Tockett, <laughs> the more I hear Tockett talk about these summer things, though, like I'm just getting this picture of him, like, you know, checking in with players all the time and, and picking up the phone and calling some guy and like, you know, phone rings and the guy's like, not now, talk. It's my wedding day. <laughs> or showing or, up at some barbecue. Or, or like, worse, it's, it's my wedding night. Yeah. <laughs> Go, leave me alone. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Exactly. <laughs> showing up at a buddy's barbecue. How many beers you had? <laughs> yeah. Get down to the get down to the gym. I mean, but it is again, like uh, you know, I'm stating the obvious here though, when it comes to Brock Besser, because there's a few guys, right? Whether it's Garland, Bovillier, Besser, like, you know, how do you want to deal with these guys in the summer? What's the right course of action here? But be curious to see what they do with Brock because of the fact too that like when you think about Vancouver Canucks, like you think about Brock Besser, like people love him here, but it's sort of gone differently for him since uh, he arrived in town. It's going differently for you in the fantasy draft, especially oh. this week. This is where oh. I turn the corner on you. And it's presented by our buddies, the Delaney's out at OK Tire and Fraser Highway in Langley. I had a 21 point week, 21 points. So I am up to, in a total, 169 points. Nice. 
You had a two-point week with Kuzmenko, so you are at 171 points. Yes. Bridging up on you (laughs) right now. It's incredible. Like, you know, we talked about the 50 points that PD put up in the first 41 games of the season. He's at 40 already right now, right? And that everybody's going to surpass their totals from the first half out of Hughes and PD and Miller. Um, But then there's Bo Horvat, who's sitting at 63 points. And, uh, well, he had 63 points last week when we did this. So Bo Horvat has gone completely ice cold and I still have him and it's really not going to matter because I got the the three hot Canucks right now in Hughes, Petey and Miller. But uh, yeah, next week I will be passing you and unless Kuzmenko does some crazy stuff and three other guys decide not to get a point, but 171, 169. So start thinking about that charity that you're going to donate to. All right. Just, just a quick thought on Bo Horvat. And I kind of got into a Twitter thread on this uh, earlier in the week. Uh, when they beat the Leafs seven to two, and he didn't figure in the yeah. scoring, it, it it's wild. Like, and this isn't about Horvat versus Beauvillier. This is just about Bo Horvat and the fact that the Islanders have scored thirty two goals in their last nine games, and he has one point, one assist. He's been in on one of the last thirty two goals. Easy. Now, people that are watching the Islanders and covering the Islanders are raving about how well he's playing, how much he's playing, the tough matchups that he is drawing that are. You know, creating space for other guys to go in those nine games. The Islanders are six, two, and one. So they're winning. They're heading to the playoffs. And remember at the time of the trade, like they were taken on water. They, they made that deal because they felt that Bo Horvat could be the kind of guy that could come in and stabilize their season and get it moving in the right direction. And so ultimately, that is what's happened. It's just the idea that a guy that plays as much as he does has one assist in his last nine games. Like it's, it's crazy to me. And when he left Vancouver, he had 31 goals, and we were talking about pushing 50. Yeah. And he's got 10 games to go. They play Columbus here on Friday afternoon. Now, maybe that's uh, going to be the, the magic potion for him is a game against the Blue Jackets, but he's got 10 games to go, and all of a sudden would have to heat up to get to 40 goals on the season. So it's been wild, but ultimately the Islanders made the deal because they believed they were a playoff team. They lost Matt Barzell. And they've managed to win games. Like if they hadn't made the trade for Horvat and lost Barzell, imagine the bottom would have fallen out. So I think they're happy enough with Bo Horvat, but they too have to be wondering, like, this isn't about, you know, is he worth the contract extension? This is just the here and now for him to have one point in nine games for a guy that if he played eight minutes a night, fine, but he's playing 20 minutes a night. He touches the puck. They give out two assists on every goal. And he has one point in nine. It's crazy. Well, especially when you put seven up on, on the Leafs, That's and you're not a part it. of like, any of it. It's just crazy. Clutterbuck had to get three yeah. points in that game. Like, uh, five goals in 20 games as a, as an Islander for a uh, Bo Horvat. And then in the Bo Villiers versus Bo Horvat uh, bet that we have, uh, you're still leading seven to five right now. A uh, Bo Villiers with seven goals in 22 games as a Vancouver Canuck. A last little piece of business that we got here is our did something hashtags. We had four of them this week. We had. SoCal King in the 3-2 shootout win over the Kings. We had Quack Quack in the 2-1 win over the Ducks. A penalty shot in the 4-3 loss to the Golden Knights and spread the scoring in a 7-2 win over the Sharks. Want to say congratulations, Jesse Grawbarger from New West, Jeff Wong of Pitt Meadows, Simon McAlnian. Got that right. <laughs> Sorry, Port, Port Moody and Shane Monkman of Chilliwack. We're going all the way around the city today. Uh, J Pat, uh, you guys are all taking home $25 to BC's best breakfast. Check them out at the Dutch.com. Check us out tomorrow. Busy weekend for us. 
working for the weekend or no, we're working on the weekend. That is not for the week. We don't get one this year, this week. That is. Uh, so we'll have two games Saturday, Sunday. So of course we'll have the pregame. We'll have the postgame because we do every game here on Rinkwide Vancouver and early starts matinee affair. I know we talked about this on a recent pod, four o'clock against Dallas. And then on Sunday, it's a three o'clock against Chicago. So look out for the uh, pregame show. Uh, we'll have that up on YouTube for you as quick as we can. And uh, while you're over there, why not uh, give us a subscription and, uh, or subscribe that is <laughs> subscription. Sounds like you're like buying something like the newspaper. A, yeah. yeah. Or like a SI back in the day. You know, my mom once got me an SI subscription. I ended up getting it for like three or four years. My mom was blown away. She's like, I thought I bought it for a year. So there you go. With YouTube, though, free. Just hit that subscribe button. Also hit a like, too. That would help us as well. But yeah, check us out there as we'll be teeing up the Stars and the Canucks tomorrow from Big D. All right. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show for all these sports.